Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Yeah, there's there's no question to know. David Lean. And you were the uh, head chapter leader of Colorado VHA? Clay Hayes. Uh, well, I got stalked by a mountain lion, uh, made a fishing pole out of a lodgepole pine. Falconry and bird dogs, can they coexist? Oh man, and do they. Shitty weather and lots of bears. That's what this podcast is about. You made a point when you get up in those high basins and the thunderstorms come rolling in. That's how I got into trail running. Some people are just wired that way. We are here today to kind of talk a little bit about hunter recruitment. Um, it's kind of a big issue right now. I feel it's it's pretty close to my my person. Uh, I got a buddy right now that I'm really trying to get into hunting. I've known him forever. Uh, he's always, you know, every time we drank beer, he'd be like, dude, you got to take me out hunting. Got to take me out. And I always thought it was, you know, something that, uh, you know, come morning time with the hangover, he would never be interested in. But uh, I think, you know, COVID kind of really got him perked up and ready to go. And, uh, you know, I've given him a couple elk steaks here and there. And that that just nailed the put the nail in the coffin for him. So, um, but you know, it's a deep topic that has a lot of intricacies. And um, I mean, Ben O'Brien, you know it the most. That's uh, for anybody out there that doesn't know, uh, Ben had a podcast on the Meat Eater Network um, that was called The Hunting Collective. Great podcast. Uh, go listen to it if you can. Um, definitely was a weekly Uh, tradition for me to listen to that podcast and definitely miss it but I'm glad that you're still out there doing stuff Um, so maybe Ben if you could if you could kind of lay it out to us why is hunter recruitment so important and if there's any big things coming up with hunter recruitment if you could just lay the whole thing out for us man yeah that's no small task um, but I'll do my best I mean I do as, as things go in hunting I think about you know, hunting almost all the time. It's 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 unhealthy. I've been checking. I got I just put some trail cameras out, so I have the Moultrie camera that sends you photos. So you have to excuse me if I don't if I'm not like hitting refresh on my camera every 20 minutes. So I think about hunting way too much. And and as you in 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 general, the topics that you think of once you become so passionate hunting, there are a lot of paths that you can go down, right? You can take the culinary path, you can take the more tactical kind of skills, craft-oriented path, or you can take, as many have, I definitely have, kind of a a broader look at hunting as kind of a value system, a way to express your relationship with the natural world, a way to uh, express a closer relationship to animals and plants and all those things. And I think as, as people take that route, you become interested almost immediately in hunter recruitment. Because you take kind of a passion-based, value-based approach to hunting. And in doing so, you want to spread that value around and show what it's done for your life. Um, as I always say, hunting has enriched my life. And I want to share that with people in the best way I know how. So that's I think that's how a lot of people get to hunter recruitment. That's how I got there. Um, I think a lot of people who, <laughs> who are hardcore hunters or avid hunters, some of them, um, frankly 
would rather not recruit anybody to go find out where their honey hole is or to put fill up their favorite trailhead with trucks. Me, uh, I don't mind that. I think that's just, I hunt primarily public land. That's just a part of, of the experience. I think people and and the animals, you know, an elk has a much right to be there as a, as a human and both are part of the experience when you're hunting public land. And so if that's it's all wrapped up in that. But I think if you take hunting from a value system standpoint, you're gonna wanna spread that around. You're gonna wanna get people into the thing that you're doing that you love so much. Um, not, not so different than, you know, somebody who joins CrossFit and keeps posting about it. They're loving their life. They want to get you to join their gym. Not so, that's kind of a trite example, but it's it's an example of you, you fall in love with something because it makes your life better. All right, so hunter recruitment, I think, is driven often by that and our, our need or our, our personal goal. But in a community standpoint, there's a m- many reasons we need more hunters. I would argue the main one is social acceptance of what we do, right? We are a spider web of people that, that value hunting. And if we add one more layer to the spider web, that spider web will continue to grow organically, right? So we are laying out our value system, introducing people. Like you said, your buddy, he's going to be able to then explain what he learned from you to another person, another person, another person. Next thing you know, hunting is growing in a very organic way. Um, I think that's probably the most important part of that. That comes with a very important subject of social acceptance. We have to have social acceptance to continue hunting. Um, we just have to, not only in a political sense, but just in a, in a societal sense. I think most non-hunters are just asking the question, is hunting good for all of us? That's what they're asking. That's what, that's the only question you need to answer. Um, anti-hunters are probably a little bit further along in their reasoning. They've come up with their answer to that question but there are millions upon millions of people who have not answered that question um and we need to hunters need to be able to help them answer that uh in in any way we know how so i think that's probably i could go through the rest of the reasons but i think societal acceptance is is the number one reason along with that comes uh we raise money in our american system of conservation funding we raise money for wildlife management. We raise money for state game agencies. In some, in some states, 60% of the funding comes from license sales and excise taxes and the like. Um, and so the more hunters we bring in, the more goods they buy, the more licenses they're required to purchase, the more money that funnels into our American system of conservation funding. We get uh, better, more biologists, better science. Uh, it strengthens our North American model of wildlife conservation. And, and on we go. So those are probably the two main pillars, although we could sit here and talk all day about, you know, why recruiting hunters is important. But I would say kind of the, those are the two main pillars in my mind. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, two, two very important things. And I don't know about you guys, but I've definitely found myself, you know, driving to work or something. And, you know, just being a hunter, uh, touching on the social acceptance part, you're going to have some conversations with some people that just have no idea what hunting is, right? Like I've, I've been in multiple situations where, um, for example, my girlfriend's mom, she's very vegetarian, a great person, right? She just, she, you can tell that she really wants to, you know, she loves animals, she loves nature, but she just has a perspective from 
like the op she's coming at it from the opposite perspective of me right so like she she grew up loving the nature just the same as me but she's 100% vegetarian now and um you know when I first met her we we definitely had many conversations just about you know like I would try to explain to her my side and and I feel like over time we kind of got to a, a understanding of each other where like oh hey like look, we, we both know the names of all these birds and we both know the names of all these trees and whatnot. And um, you wouldn't get there if you didn't have a very deep appreciation for uh, the world around you and stuff like that. But um, going back to what I was saying is I've been in my truck many times and I'll be having like these hypothetical arguments with these made up people about like why I got to justify myself for for, for hunting and, and whatnot. And um, I don't know if you guys find the same thing, but I think, uh, you know, better than having arguments with people is getting somebody close to you and taking them out in the outdoors and really, especially if they have no context in it, like if they didn't grow up hiking or backpacking or whatever, it's very important to get those people out into the outdoors whether they like hunting or not, it's it's a, a key part of conservation. That um, and I, I, th I think you know that's such an important part of hunter conservation, um, just as a whole. Is even if somebody doesn't end up being a hunter, just get them out there, and positive things yeah. will happen. I think uh, yeah, like kind of touching on that always too. I've had people who have been vegetarians and stuff like that, like saving animals and everything. But I don't think a lot of the a lot of people out there understand we're out there for the same reasons. You know, I I don't actually want to watch an animal die. It's not fun for me. But I mean, I'm out there for the food part. I'm out there for like working for my food and you know understand where that comes from. It just doesn't come from some magical grocery store place where everything is just turned into burgers. So um, you know, I've this huge appreciation for outdoors and animals and our ecosystems. And I think a lot of those people don't understand that we're out there doing the exact same thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Owen, you got an interesting perspective too, because uh, you took a couple of years off from hunting, right? And you were, you were a vegetarian, correct? For a little bit. I was. Um, yeah. What, 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 what the hell? Right? What the hell, Owen? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm ourselves a vegetarian decoy Switch here. sides on us. I know. <laughs> well, what what brought you back into it? Uh, you know, it's just what brought well, you number back one, into it? It's yeah. it's hard to get all the nutrients you need, you know, from vegetables alone, especially if you're like pretty athletic, you know, I was like riding bikes 5 times a week, pretty hard riding over 100 miles. Um, so definitely the nutrients aspect of it, but you know, um, I went vegetarian to lose weight, <laughs> not necessarily against hunting, but I didn't hunt for a couple of years as well. Um, and just going back into it again was like just that appreciation for the outdoors and, um, just wanting to go out there. I wanted to hunt with my dad. I wanted to, you know, get some food that me and my girlfriend could eat together. That was, you know, I know where it came from. I gutted it, skin it, skinned it, all the things, um, which it feels really cool to go to your freezer and and do that you know that you're providing for your family yeah. um so ben uh something i kind of wanted to touch on with you um is just with this hunter recruitment part we're seeing now 
I mean, I think everybody that hunts out west here has recognized the fact that um, even in the summer, not hunting, uh, you go up to any trailhead and there's just so many more cars in every single parking lot. People are getting deeper into the backcountry, all that good stuff. Um, do you have any thoughts on where the the kind of the breaking point is? Uh, at what point can you love something so much to death, right? Like, what, at what point do we need to kind of start to try to figure out a solution so that everybody's happy, but also the animals are, you know, the, the populations are in a good spot. Um, what do you yeah. think as far as a breaking point there? I think it all kind of, I used to, I, I really want to think that I used to think and I want to live in a world where hunting was kind of immune to the culture war that we currently live in, you know, left versus right or certain ideologies versus the other. When you start to look at things even as simple as hunter recruitment, you have political ideologies that control not only game commissions state by state, but that also um, push wildlife management in certain directions and places. Um, so I want to start by saying like, I understand that there, there are idiosyncrasies and there, there are nuances within every state's situation in terms of hunter pressure or the amount of hunters buying licenses. Certainly in Montana and across the West, Hunting tag applications have gone up pretty incredibly over the last couple of years, as you mentioned earlier, that it started with COVID and it kind of went on. Um, it carried over this year, it seems to me, in most in most Western states, at least, that I've seen. So all those things, just to acknowledge, there are an immense amount of complications when it comes to how do we manage wildlife in a time when there's more interest in, in a consumptive use of wildlife. How do you do that? Um, well, our North American model of conservation gives us kind of guardrails in which to travel, right? If we, if we say, if we stay within the seven tenets of our, our North American model of wildlife conservation, in general, I think we'll be okay. That just means one of the tenets is to use science as a tool, right? Science through wildlife biology. Each state has wildlife biologists who are, who are assigned to manage these wildlife into a lot tags and opportunities for hunters. And so we have to trust that system. As I mentioned a little bit ago, that system is very imperfect. Um, we've just seen that in Montana. We had a, a Democratic governor, and we went to a Republican governor. There was a big tie, a sea shift to uh, guides and outfitters and private land tag allotments. Um, that is, again, just a part of our, kind of our political system and the way it works. But in general, I think we can still say we, should, we can promote hunting broadly across the board in any way that we please. We can promote individual, you know, through our individual efforts with people around us, kind of a better, more personal approach. But we can also have podcasts like this one and shows like Meat Eater and podcasts uh, like The Hunting Collective to tell people this is valuable. Get into it. Don't get into it. We don't care, but it's valuable to us. It's valuable to wildlife. Um, and, and as hunters, we just have to deal with the fact that our trailhead might be more full than it was last year. It's not our trailhead. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to everyone. So if, if a hunter is, uh, I know a lot of them that complain about hunter pressure in areas where there used to not to be very much, I would just say, you're a hunter, adapt to it. Um, there's, the solution to it is not to push people out of the woods. Uh, that is not the solution. I promise you that because if, if, if we're unable to take in new members of our community, we will ultimately lose our ability to go hunting anyway. 
because we, as we mentioned earlier, there will be no societal acceptance for it because we've created a closed system um, and a closed community. So we have to keep that community open, but we also have to be very critical of our game, our game commissions, our wildlife managers, the people that we have essentially hired to do this work on our behalf. Um, we have to keep those folks accountable. And if you used to be able to get a tag every year and now you get a tag every other year, I, my, and I know this, may, this may sound harsh, but we kind of have to deal with that because we really can't, um, we can't close off our world because we want to keep it the way it is currently. Yeah, I think that's key. I mean, a lot of states now are kind of moving, you know, you see Wyoming, you know, doubling their non, almost doubling their non-resident tag fees. And you see, you know, Idaho putting caps on their general seasons and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I think of it as just a, a small price to pay. You know, if, if my, like I've, I've hunted every year since I was freaking five years old. If I can get my buddy who hasn't hunted at all, like this is going to be his first year. He went out turkey hunting with me, but uh, this is going to be his first year of big game hunting. If I could like give him my tag just so that he could hunt, I would do it. And I think, I think a lot of hunters are kind of in the same boat, uh, but there's, there's always going to be those old timers that were like, you know, oh, I've hunted here for 45 years and I don't want anything to change. Um, so and I think, yeah, we know, should say, we should tell we people, we should tell people I get that. I got spots yeah. and I got spots that not many people know of. And if there was seven trucks at the trailhead and then when I pull up there on opening day after scouting the hell out of it and knowing exactly where I'm going to kill a bull, I, my first initial reaction is fuck that. Like this is, this sucks. This is not, this is not what I wanted. This is not, it's a natural human reaction. Like that is totally, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, but you have to peel that back a minute and say to yourself, what would I rather have? You know, would I rather have something that is desirable that I have to deal with an influx of new people and manage that and help to make that a positive experience for everybody? Or am I going to be the person who desires to close that off um, for my own personal gain? Because at some level, that's what we're talking about. Are you a part of a community? Or are you just a single person with your own, you know, with your own desires and your own and your wants? And hunting is set up as a community. It's set up as you pay into this system of conservation funding. You pay into a system of wildlife management. You put your time into um, these ecosystems and different uh, population level adjustments. You're a part of that whole. Hunting is built that way uh, intentionally. And so it's, it's just a part of who we are as hunters to, to kind of think of the federal duck stamp is not a tax on us, but a donation to all of us, right? So we, we are we are being asked to, and at some, in some levels, told to by the federal government, be a part of a community that all pays into the same thing. So I think this just this just lines out. It's more difficult than that, but it certainly lines out in that direction for me personally, where I'm like, I want these people here, you know, if they're breaking the law or they're being unsafe, I'll let them know that. Um, but beyond that, they're welcome here no matter where I go. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing too, because, uh, I find just as far as like the federal duck stamp, not being, you know, we're, we're buying into it. Right. Um, I feel like with hunters, you know, most guys that you talk to have no problem paying more taxes, uh, because they know that those taxes on that outdoor gear are going to, you know, the, the Pittman Robertson's Act, and, uh, you know, it's going directly back into them. 
it's it's a very straightforward investment. Uh, I always think like, man, I wonder if like you could apply that system to America right now because everybody nobody likes paying taxes on groceries or whatever because you don't know where they're going. But I always wonder like, man, if if you could apply that system to everything. I think people would be much happier in paying a lot of taxes. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I think the duck stamp. Just a I, I, I think the duck stamp is the only federal tax that the constituents voted to raise, or like the only tax that the constituents who are paying it were happy to pay double. You know, this is. I it, it, at some level I, I know that to be true. I don't have it in front of me the details of that, but I've read it a million times, and so. When you're driving down the highway, you're not driving down the highway thinking, man, I'm glad I pay my taxes. This highway's awesome, right? You take the highway for granted, right? That highway, you can go, you know, and, but there's limits to the highway, right? You can only drive 65 miles an hour. Why? Because everybody else on the highway needs to know that they have the same level of expectation. We're a community. We're not going to drive all crazy because that endangers me. And I think hunters, what I've been so glad to be a part of over the last 10 to 15 years is hunters have become, I think, in general, especially guys that are my age and probably your guys' age as well, have become, they're driving down the highway thinking, damn, it's nice to be driving on this highway. I'm glad that I paid into the idea of a highway. Um, and I think that's a personal, and again, this is a big part, I think, of recruitment as well. It's not on the front. When you go buy your license, when you get that your, your regs book, there's nothing in the regs book about Pittman-Robertson, very rarely anything about the American System of Conservation funding. And so it's up to the individual and the communities and the, and the smaller communities that you guys create, that I might create, to instill that value in the people around you that says, we're not, we're not takers. Like We're part of a community, and we got to find a way as a community to make sure our highway is maintained to make sure the speed limit is reasonable and to make sure we can all drive on it and know that we can trust each other, that we're there for the right reasons. That's, you know, on a broad level, impossible. But that's what we do with highways. That's what we do with uh, fire stations. And that's what we do with police. We, we trust each other. We pay into a system that protects us. We pay into a system that makes things easier for us. And I think as long as hunters are willing to admit that that's what we're doing, and you go to a go a field appreciating that mountain instead of just driving on it, then you can you can find a way to to have a positive impact. You know that's that's not as easily easy said as some of like broader legislation we might enact or things that we might do. But as long as hunters are valuing the thing that they're doing, like you guys do, obviously, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. Well, and you're definitely that's seeing. Well I like I, that. Yeah, I thought about that shit a lot, sure. Owen. <laughs> I sit in this room right here, <laughs> drinking and thinking about that a lot. Nice. Um, yeah, I think the community of hunters, especially like kind of the, you know, kind of like the new generation. We were just up at BHA Rendezvous, um, and man, it's it's crazy to see just the community that hunters are a part of now. Like you know, everybody's just so happy. They're drinking beers. They're, you know, telling each other about, you know, what their company does and, you know, they're telling each other about their hunts and stuff like that. And honestly, it's a community that is very accepting. You know, it's, it's kind of like it's uh, an anomaly in some of the communities that exist nowadays where it's just like, oh, you hunt? Cool. We're friends. Good to go. Um, and it's, it's just it's awesome to see. But I think that's a new thing, right? 
like I guess I wasn't alive back in the day to understand what hunters used to be and I'm sure there was a, a bond you know with the baby boomers the post-world war ii uh you know boom in hunting um but I really do think it's kind of a new thing here that we got going on and it's it's awesome <clears throat> and it's good to bring new people into that because you know especially in today's day today's world people are are longing for that connection and if you can bring somebody into this world that's super accepting like the hunting world i think it's it's just going to make the world a better place yeah we're going to change the world with hunting <laughs> i kind of believe that dude i'm right there with you it might be yeah. it might sound like kind of hyperbolic and a little douchey but it's true man because yeah. there's personal there's things that you can do with people to show them i've never taken someone hunting and had them say Eh, I don't know. I'm not. It's not for me. Yeah. It's it's likely because most of the people I take are already going down that path anyway. But it's mm. not. It's never been something that's that's turned someone off. And I can never imagine. I don't get in terms of hunter recruitment. I do not understand the idea that back to the highway metaphor that you would take a kid or a new driver on the road and be like, if somebody comes near you, this is your highway. Knock them off. You know, or if, if there's too yeah. many people on the road, your first reaction is to get frustrated. You know, we're all paying into this road. We can all drive the sucker, and and we should we should understand that. So I think, you know, some of the pushback in our community around R three is that you know we need to. There's other ways to get people into hunting and large scale acceptance and participation in hunting stresses our our resources. That's all fine, but I don't know of another way than to introduce someone with with a fully open understanding of of you're now a part of a system. That system is imperfect. Um, it's complex. You have to understand as many facets of it as you can. But you're welcome here, and anybody you know is welcome here. Like this is, mm -hmm. you can come in, and you can have the same joy and, and enrichment that we all get from this. This is now yours. Don't screw it up. You have a responsibility, and and say that to everybody that comes in. You know, on a broad level or on a, on an interpersonal level. Um, and so I think that's I think most folks agree with that. Like I said, there's been some in, in the hunting industry that have pushed back on that for for their own reasons. But I just I just can't imagine another way. Yeah, and it is understandable that people push back because you know with population growth, if even if we I think it's like four percent of the population, four or five percent own hunting licenses in America right now, and um, you know if if our population keeps growing and we keep that 5%, then eventually there's going to be, you know, millions of hunters out there, which is something that's, you know, not necessarily sustainable. Um, but <coughs> there's a balance to be had there. And I think if, especially nowadays with urban sprawl being what it is, it's, it's just ever more important to keep people on their toes, keep getting people introduced into nature so that we can conserve it forever. Um, <clears throat> but Ben, I, I did want to talk to you about, uh, if we can, uh, the hunt in common. Yeah. Are we, absolutely. we good to talk about that at all? We can talk about that. Uh, you kind of, <clears throat> cool. Uh, cause I think that's a pretty exciting thing. If, if you want to kind of lay it out, you got to, you got a nonprofit starting kind of that's yeah. going to be more geared towards uh, hunter recruitment. Yeah, and it it's a uh, it's a strange story. It's a <laughs> it's probably not the same. Yeah, I know. 
origin story that most conservation groups have, but I'm proud, proud nonetheless of kind of its origin story. Um, it's all started on our, on our podcast, The Hunting Collective, when uh, a, a guy in Virginia wrote in. He was a new hunter. His name was uh, Juan Carlos, and he was asking me to, to read on the podcast his email to see if he could get some hunting mentors in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina and Virginia. And I read it just just to, to do my best to help that, that single guy. And I got 50 emails, roughly, of people in the Blue Ridge Mountains that listened to the podcast that were excited to help Juan Carlos. Um, and I think I, I said very flippantly, hey, this is our first regional chapter of this podcast. And then I probably laughed and went on my way uh, with that episode. Well, but it turned, it turned out that um, a lot of folks really wanted to have that interaction, have that connection around hunting. There was a lot of non-hunters that listened to my show, a lot of uh, veteran hunters that were looking to mentor people, and that connection itself um, became important over time. And we started with regional chapters. We have leaders of, of different states, which I know you've been a part of, Ryan. Like, it's, it's an exciting way to promote what we've been talking about, just people making the connection via hunting. Like if, if you're able to make a connection with someone, show them what you know, start them on the path of becoming a hunter, it's one of my favorite things to do, and it's one of the most intense things I do and rewarding things I do in my life outside of my family. And so I'm glad that um, from this interaction with my podcast and from this kind of idea of there might be regional chapters, for lack of a better word, of, of groups of people doing this in, in different states, that we now have um, a conservation organization on our hands at some level. Um, we have elected a leadership of people from across our country. Um, John Stelfew is uh, our president. He's from Wisconsin. Luke Reeves is our vice president. He's from Nebraska. Um, we've got people involved from all the way from California to um, Florida. So it's just a, as, as it stands right now, we, we named it the Hunt in Common. And for obvious reasons, we all have this hunt in common. That's an important concept, you know, for hunter recruitment and for the future of our world, I think. Um, and we're, we're working on, um, I would say they. I want, I want this group to be not a group that I run because it's not my group. It's, the, it's, it's everyone who volunteered to spend their time in this way. It's, it's their group. Um, it it's sound a little bit overblown to say it's like for the people. <laughs> it's a little douchey to say that, but I'll say it anyway. Is it's for anybody that wants to get involved and find a connection through hunting and share in that value system that we've been talking about. And so that's what the hunting common is. Um, we're actually going this weekend to have our first kind of rendezvous at Doug Duran's place up in Wisconsin. Um, and you know my role at this point is to just help out, help this group of very passionate people. I think across all of our chapters, we have over 3,000 folks that have, have joined up and, and follow what we do. So that's a pretty good number um, for only being three or four months old at this at this juncture. So we're excited yeah. about it, man. We're super excited about what we can do. Um, and to me, all the things that we might achieve with a bunch of people with a common value system, just connections, multiplying our connections, getting people a support system that they need to learn about hunting giving people the very rewarding experience of being a mentor. Um, that's what matters to me. Certainly we could raise a bunch of money or raise awareness or there's a million things you could do. But the main thing I want to do is promote 
the connections that we've been talking about because I think over time that's really where we'll win and really where we'll see a difference. Yeah. Well, man, it's already freaking strong, man. Like we got, uh, I'm, you know, I can see the the post that people post in the Facebook group uh, for the leader, uh, the admin page, and like people are already planning coos deer trips in Arizona. And uh, I know me and uh, Riley Nelson, who is the other Colorado chapter admin, uh, we got a couple guys coming from the East Coast that we're going to go on an elk hunting trip with, hopefully this fall. Uh, you know, I've seen turkey hunting trips that have already happened. It's just, it's awesome, man. I, who would have thought that just from one sentence on your podcast that you have all these, <laughs> all these hooligans just jumping in and going across the country to meet up with each other. It's you crazy. Bastards. It's crazy, but it, <laughs> I think it goes to show all the things we're talking about are very real, right? I, yeah. That's what matters to me. As I go through, you know, I have a career in media and hunting media. I've been mm-hmm. working for magazines and, and, and marketing and different product companies and now meat eater for, for almost 14, almost 15 years now, I think. And I'm to a point in my life where I, where that connection, where seeing you guys connect through my podcast, but then build your own kind of world where you can, where there's cool people you can meet, things you can learn you never knew before, like recipes. You, I mean, this is, this is what hunting really is and can be. Um, and it's the reason I devoted my life to it. I tell people all the time, I, I work at Meat Eater, I used to work at Yeti, but my life is committed to the hunting community. Um, and that's how I feel. And so this is just a good extension of that. Uh, as you said, man, it's pretty crazy that this has happened in this short a time frame. I think that those podcasts were airing, I think probably back in April or maybe even early April. And so we're just here in July and now there's a bunch of people that are going hunting together and spending time together because of that connection. So. Um, I'm excited about it, and I'm I'm really dedicated to this idea that it's not going to be anything but really creating the new age hunting club for people, like a, a place where people yeah. can can come together. Yeah, well, it's definitely a space that could be filled. You know, you got the in conservation hunting uh, nonprofits. You know, you got Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you got Wild Turkey Federation, you got BHA. Uh, a lot of you know conservation groups that are focused on animals and public land but there's not many I mean there's a couple smaller ones across the country but there's not many like hunter advocacy uh, hunter recruitment programs that have really taken hold and um, so I think I think if we can get some people in there uh, I think we can really help help people out with just getting um, you know getting people spots or or at least just getting them the right gear you know there's so many things that when you first start up hunting that you don't think of you know and and i think myself and i don't know what your guys' stories are but at least me you know my dad hunted so uh he was a big hunter still is he would always give me his hand-me-down clothes uh you know he it was just kind of ingrained in my life uh what i needed to as far as gear and spots and knowledge to go hunting but a lot of people, if they're just jumping into the world, they have no idea. I mean, you can read as many articles as you want on online about, you know, oh, make sure you get this pack or make sure you get that. Um, but it really, I think it really takes a person to dedicate their time to get you what you need personally. So I think that can be a, a very big positive coming here. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tough in the, in the hunting space. It's tough 
for I think for new hunters, we call them emergent hunters in my world. Like mm-hmm. it's tough for them in a lot of ways. I've met hunters who only follow one certain individual on social media, or only watch one show, or only got you know only got into the sub community of Western hunting, and they live in you know say Arkansas. It's it's tough even the way that our our hunting media set and our the way people might learn and ingest hunting on a broad level inside of our media offerings it's tough because it's not there's not an arkansas hunting tv show that's as popular as say meat eater tv so right you're going to pick up some of the things you're going to pick up some of the broad things that you need i need this type of gear i need to think about this layering system i need to think about this uh, public access for squirrels i need to think about this kind of dog all that stuff is there for you but there's nothing better than someone that lives where you live saying hey this is a way I've determined how to do it here, right? There's just no better way to do that. Um, and as much as we want to kind of, as we've said earlier, get like the broad acceptance of hunting where it needs to be for us to continue doing what we do, um, there's no better way on a personal level to learn than from somebody that lives near you to say, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go do something. Let's go travel together. Let's go, let's go every Saturday out and hang trail cameras and scout and I'll get you uh, on a deer or on an elk or on a, uh, you know, on a good set of ducks. Um, there's no better way to experience hunting. And as much as I make like broad hunting media, I know that it's imperfect in the way that it addresses hunting. And, and it's never going to be perfect because everybody comes with different perspectives and different needs, different knowledge bases to it. So that's why my, ultimately the hunting common is that solution for me is to promote these regional state-based groups that want to ingest people that are out there looking for people to bring them in and teach them what they know. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point. Uh, just talking about like the Southeast and stuff like that. Um, like mediator, all the big media, all the YouTube pages that typically most people follow um, are based on Western hunting. And it's, it's a big thing now. Like everybody wants to go out to Colorado or Montana and chase elk. Um, and this correlates to the hunter numbers that we're seeing right, right now. Um, so like I pulled up some stats yesterday. Um, the West, most states out West here have seen like upwards of at least 5% uh, hunting uh, license sales increases over the past 10 years, uh, all the way up until like, you know, some states have like plus 10% license sales. Um, whereas, you know, the Northeast, uh, the Midwest, which were typically like back in the day, those were kind of the, the hunter strongholds. Uh, but you're seeing the shift now to like, you know, the Western states. And I think a big part of that is like just the public land out here. Um, and, uh, you know, because Colorado is like 60% public land. I, I'm pretty sure I was I was looking at that yesterday, which is insane. Uh, and I was I lived in Georgia uh, for a couple years, and uh, just being down there it made me realize how how little public land access there is compared to out here. Like it, it can be tough. Like you can you can look on Onyx right, and you can be like, oh, this is, here's some public land access. I can romp around in the Appalachians. Uh, but then you get up there and there's, you know, there's all these houses on the road and there's no, like, it's public land behind the houses, but there's no, like, access points. Um, and we're seeing now in the West, there's a lot of, 
you know, I know BHA is great at it. Um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, they'll go and buy up public pieces of land um, to allow people to get access to those, to pieces that are like, you know, landlocked public land pieces where it's piece of private in between. Um, but you don't really hear about that stuff out out on the East Coast or, I mean, I know there's a little bit in the Southeast. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit, the Southeast has a, a bigger hunting community, so there's a little bit more focus on it now. But um, do you do you know of anything? Uh, I know you guys at Meat Eater do some stuff trying to buy up, you know, public or private pieces. But do you know of any other groups that are are advocating for for public land access out there? Yeah, I mean, I think that I mean BHA has chapters that cover all of those states, um, and there yeah. are to to your point, they're just smaller scale efforts. I mean, it might be a piece yeah. of BL, it might be a piece of state ground that doesn't have great access. And I mean, I know in Georgia, there's been a bunch of uh, forest um, deforestation that they've been fighting. So I, I think on a on a, like in the southeast and in the east. I mean, I'm from Maryland originally. I know exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Um, there is there are public pieces that I could have hunted had I still lived in Maryland, but they're nowhere near the millions of acres that are right outside my window that I can access anytime I want. And I could probably never hunt the entire thing if I tried through my, if I hunted every day for the rest of my life. And so the feeling is just different. Um, I always tell people that I think on a, on a personal level for me, now that I know what I know about hunting and I've kind of explored public land and I've hunted almost every Canadian province and a bunch of States in this country, there are different versions of what we do in every single state. Now, a lot of states there just isn't the access that we have in Montana or you have in Colorado, um, but there are other ways to get at that wildlife and those and those good times to be had. But it just it's it's tougher in Maryland than it is in Montana. It's a different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. As much as I miss my entire family back in 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 Maryland, I don't know the lifestyle I live right now could not be supported there. I couldn't hunt as freely as I do here in Montana, and that's. That, as you said, is a big reason why I think a lot of the Western states have got a lot of shine in the current media, hunting media culture, because it's better here. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's better. There's more game. There's more access. Um, it's just better if you want to go hunting. And so yeah. I think that's – I don't want to call it unfortunate. It's great. It's great for folks that live here, but it is a balance in our, in our country, and we've got to – at Meat Eater, we talk about this all the time. We can't be myopic. We've got Clay Newcomb down there in Arkansas. We just hired um, our duck guy, Sean Weaver. He's in South Dakota. Uh, we've got Mark Kenyon in Michigan. And all, all Mark Kenyon thinks about is deer. You can't even talk to him about him. Yeah. It's very annoying. You're like, Mark, hey, what about the ducks? He doesn't know. He didn't know what a duck is. Right. And so, like, we're trying our best to kind of represent a myriad of other places and of other ways of life and other ways to kind of come into hunting. So, but it's hard, man. That's a hard thing to do. Um, but I would say like, even in the hunt in common or in, in BHA on which I'm, I'm on the board for those guys, like there are, you know, we have a very robust BHA chapter in North Carolina. Those guys get after it. Uh, and they are as passionate and well healed as anybody I've ever met when it comes to hunting and conservation. And they're in North Carolina. I don't think I don't think of that state as like this bastion of hunting and fishing, but there are a, there's a huge group of very impressive individuals there, um, living the lifestyle, 
that most people would be jealous of. So um, you just got to kind of take the bull by the horns and wherever you live, it's there for you. It's just maybe a different version than in the, in the West. Yeah. Well, you can, there's opportunities everywhere that you can find, you know, it's goes back to the, you know, having more people at the trailhead, you know, just go somewhere else, find a different spot, take it as an opportunity to find, you know, if you pull up to a spot and you see 10 guys there, you know, there's, there's always going to be a spot that people aren't hunting. And, you know, it, I always think of it, I don't think this is realistic, but I always think like, hey, man, you know, like with all these podcasts telling people just get away from people, people are end up are going to end up, you know, everybody's going to be in four miles deep and then all the elk are going to be closer to the truck. So yeah. I, w- I would take that if that's the case. But Yeah, I mean, I once, um, I once had yeah, a, I a very inspiring conversation with the founder of Onyx. I don't know if he, he'd probably be okay with me telling this story. Like it was a very brief encounter and he was like, hey, man, I, I came up. Onyx really got started because I was hunting public private borders all the time that's mm-hmm. where all the elk yeah. are um and i found mm-hmm. myself doing a lot of that here um as well even though there's a million acres over here to my west i'm over here popping along the border to you know to the the private land down in the valley because that's where a lot of the elk are so yeah that's i mean that is a, a dynamic we run into you know my dad lives in maryland and and has a place in west virginia he has we have a couple of places where we can go um, but they're small, two, three thousand acres, ten thousand acres at most. Um, and and on opening day, you, pro- you kind of don't want to be there, especially opening day of rifle season. You kind of you'd much rather duck and cover and go hunt there. Um, anybody that's listening to this that's in Pennsylvania will know what I mean. Um, yeah. And so those are those are the realities of, of each different place. And uh, there's not a whole lot you can do with that. But I think a lot of people have moved to Montana, Colorado, etc., to kind of experience what it's like to be. Uh, so close to this access and it it certainly changed the way that I live my life and I'm glad that my children will have the access to this hence the reason why I try to fight for public land its access and conservation around it because I you know my kids yeah. my kids are gonna have access to this and I, when I was their age I had no idea this existed I had no idea what an elk was I had no idea what the Gallatin mountain range was like I didn't know, and they're gonna know it pretty intimately. Um, so I feel lucky for that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the main point is everything. <clears throat> if we if we keep getting people outdoors, it's gonna be a net positive because we're gonna, you know, keep that value on the outdoors. You know, the second it lose val- loses value, that's when you know we got bigger issues. So. Yeah. Um, to anybody out there, if you're listening to this, make sure you grab your buddy. This is why everybody out there needs to buy an eight-man teepee <laughs> instead of a six-man. Get an extra buddy in there, and you're good to go. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, life's better. Go. Life is there's, there's the better plug for the show. Lot. That's like yeah. it all. It all led up to that sales pitch. I like it. Uh, yeah, I, I just yeah, imagine like, life like is it. better when you yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you should get a job at Seek Outside or something. Uh, I have to look into it. Life is better when you have a bunch of cool people around, man. Like It's just better when you're building community of people that you respect, that they value the same thing you do. Like It's just better. Life is better when there's a bunch of people around you doing the same things that you do and enjoying as much as you. And um, there's no replacement for that. If we didn't find anything about the pandemic, 
we should have figured that out. Like being around people yeah. that we share value systems with is critical to our happiness. And um, oh, huge. Yeah. So let's like like let's use hunting in our. You know, we could be in a knitting club. That'd be great. But we're not. We love hunting. Like let's let's build a bigger club. Yeah. But yeah, you man. Guys, you guys don't well, like knitting. We don't want to take. <laughs> I've never done hey. it. Maybe that's the next uh, the knit in common. That's the next group that we gotta. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Yeah. I'm starting the Facebook right now. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll accidentally create anything. <laughs> that's my yeah yeah hey, one of my mottos. That's your thing, man. So many great things are created accidentally. So yeah. Um. But yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. We we really appreciate you coming on, and um, don't want to take too much more out of it. But um, if people want to find out more, if people want to get access to all these wonderful people, wonderful people in the hunt in common, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, all our all our state chapters are on Facebook pages right now. So if you just search the hunt in common and then put your state name after it. Uh, you should re- readily pull up a bunch of that stuff. If for whatever reason you can't find it, well, sorry, we're kind of exclusive over here at the Common. <laughs> just kidding. Um, just find me at BennyOB301 on Instagram. I get about four or five questions a day of where folks can find specific state chapters, and I'm always happy to point folks in the right direction um, if you can't find it on your own. But, but they're all on Facebook and uh, open to – you have to answer a few questions to jump in. Um, verify that you're interested in what we like but well, that's all you got to do and then you're in and hopefully you can either be a mentor or find a mentor hey guys thanks for listening to the seek outside podcast hope you enjoyed it this week remember we do have an email address if you would like to leave any questions comments concerns we'd love to hear that feedback uh, that email address is podcast at seekoutside.com so Feel free. We're always here. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.